Beyond the Venue podcast. I'm your host, MG, the venue specialist. I have with me today a longtime friend, uh, both fellow Drexel grad and fellow Temple grad. Uh, this is Christine Plord Golden. Thanks for joining me today. Thanks for having me, MG. Of course. So, Christine, we we started Drexel at the same time, but didn't necessarily like know each other. Um, but we we reconnected when I first started um, at Temple. Uh, to get my master's in tourism and hospitality management, the same program that you were in. And I, first semester, fall of 2009, I show up at an MPI. So is it Meeting Professionals International? Is that what it stands for? MPI meeting. And you were a part of leading that meeting to try and um, get students to, to join MPI. And I had been familiar with this organization through uh, a mutual friend because I originally joined uh, the the graduate program thinking I wanted to go into event planning uh, in the hospitality industry. And so it was recommended from another friend who was a full-time event planner and I show up and I'm like, she looks super familiar. So I, I remember coming to speak with you at the end of the meeting and realized that we both went to Drexel. I think right out of the gate, you said, did you live in Myers freshman year? Uh, so for our listeners, it's one of the freshman dorms at Drexel University, which fun fact, I kept hearing it was supposed to be built as a temporary dorm in the seventies. And it is, it's it's still kicking in, in 2021. So we reconnected, realized we're in the program together. Um, what, you know, what, what was your kind of experience like up to that point? Cause I know you and I had two very different <laughs> graduate school experiences. So you, you had already been in the program a lot longer. So what, what was your story with Temple's program? Yeah. So I actually started at Temple in the master's in tourism hospitality program in 2006. So okay. after I graduated from Drexel. I had been working at a corporate uh, company, a financial institution, um, as a marketing officer. Uh, but everybody that I worked with had like an advanced degree, and I knew that if I wanted to go further in my career, I, I needed something else. Um, and at undergrad, I majored in communications, and I realized I really liked meeting management, and I wanted to learn more about it. So I applied for Temple's program, and somehow they let me in uh, <laughs> because I was working full time. Um, I was a very, very part-time student. I only took one course a semester. So in 2006, by the time you got there in 09, I was only halfway through. (laughs) Very, very long road. Uh, The whole program changed uh, in the time that I was there. But um, my school was actually subsidized too by my company. So that's nice. I had to make sure I made my grades and I had to report it in. Um, So that funding really, really helped me uh, in the long run, obviously. Um, but yeah, in 2011, that's when we graduated. Um, yeah, so it took me a whole five years at that point. Um, but in that, in that time, I had also joined uh, Meeting Professionals International, the Philadelphia area chapter, because um, again, I realized that my, my professional network wasn't uh, broad enough to, to help me get those extra skills that I didn't learn in undergrad. You know, those real world, how do you do it in corporate America? <laughs> um, and I found MPI was a really great organization for me to meet people and to learn from other meeting managers and other people in the hospitality industry. Uh, so at that time, I think I was probably sitting on the student affairs committee um, because I was a student and we had uh, just started uh, to recruit for the student 
chapter at Temple. So Temple had its own like MPI student chapter. Um, and then since then I've sat on the MPI board a couple of times and I'm going back to it uh, in July. Um, so I, I'm still very, very involved in that organization. And you, when, when did you first join, join MPI? Uh, actually 2005 after I graduated. Okay. Okay. So this, it has been a very integral part of, of your career, networking, career. learning. Um, Cause I know they're constantly offering uh, classes and workshops. Um, yeah. When I, when I joined up, it was, I had the opposite experience where, you know, okay. So I, I, so with grad school, I quit my full-time job to go to school full-time and uh, ended up getting a part-time job within at Temple. They refer to them as externships. And I worked with all the student organizations on campus through uh, student activities, which I absolutely loved. And thinking I was going into event planning, joining MPI was one of the best things I could have ever done for myself um, because I started going to these events and you're correct, everyone is so wonderful that I really enjoyed the connections I was making, the conversations that I was having, but it was this eye-opening experience where it seemed that anyone who had a long career in event planning kind of fell ass backwards into it versus someone like me who had this like passion drive, like I love planning events, like I wanna do this with my life it seemed like those people fizzled out after about like a year or so and just had to figure out the what's next. And I instead, I didn't want that to happen to me. So I ended up completely switching gears and said, okay, I've got three semesters left of grad school. Like, let's see where the universe takes us. And so that next semester, spring semester of 2010 is when I had Dr. Roll's applied research course. And he said, okay, for this course, you're going to essentially write like your first thesis paper and you need to pick a subject of something that you're interested in because you're going to be stuck with this for an entire semester. And that's when I was like, well, I'm huge into craft beer and that seems to be kind of a big deal. So that's how I got started in the, in the craft beer world. And it really took off from there. So I always credit MPI to helping me kind of figure out that I needed at that particular time in my life, I needed to go um, in a different direction. So thank you. <laughs> thank you for bringing me on board. And what's crazy is it would all kind of circle back because then, you know, I would jump to, uh, well, now I'm getting my, getting ahead of myself because during grad school, we'll come back to that, but during grad school, you got married. Um, you and your boyfriend, Tom, now your husband, uh, you had a very interesting wedding experience. And I, I would love you to tell our listeners about your wedding. Yeah. Oh, I'll, I'll even bring it back a little further because uh, how we even got engaged was an interesting story. My, my husband, my boyfriend at the time, my husband's very frugal. And the one day I realized that he had bought a wedding ring because he found this really great online deal and ordered with himself a wedding band. And I said to my boyfriend, I said, oh, you bought <laughs> a wedding band. Does this okay. mean you're getting married to someone? <laughs> so that kind of kicked off the whole process of buying an engagement ring and going to the jewelry store. And then it was a matter of, he's gonna actually propose to me, um, which happened uh, my birthday weekend 
in 2010, we were in California actually on vacation and following the Phillies. So uh, <laughs> it was a really, really fun weekend um, where uh, he pretended that he, we were chasing a geocache. And for those that aren't familiar with geocaching, it's basically you get these online coordinates and some clues and you have to go find this sort of buried treasure. Um, and he made it into a game for me. He was feeding me all these clues and I thought they were terrible clues because I couldn't find the package. I was getting frustrated. Uh, and then finally I, I picked up this box and it was a jewelry box. And I said, well, what, 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 this isn't a geocache because normally they come in like an, an ammo container or like a Tupperware, but this was a really shiny jewelry box. And he got down on one knee and asked me to marry him. And of course I said, yes. <laughs> so, <laughs> fast forward a few months and, you know, when you get engaged, it's very exciting and you get all of your family and friends involved. And I had been at a work event. Uh, that my company at the time was sponsoring for the mural arts program. Um, and uh, the mayor at the time, Mayor Nutter, came to make a few remarks. And this was, uh, I think, November of 2010. He said, okay, you know, come back to the next mural arts event, uh, the Love Letter Tour, where I'm going to marry a couple on the Market Frankfurt L. I was like, oh, that's an interesting concept. So uh, I realized that the mural arts program was looking for couples to apply for this uh, position, essentially. <laughs> <laughs> to be married on the L. And for those that are listening, the Market Frankfurt L is the subway that runs uh, north, uh, east to west, north to south, straight through the Philadelphia city. Um, and I, I told my fiance, Tom, at the time, I was like, oh, hey, I heard about this contest. And I distinctly remember he said to me, oh, let's apply. We'll never win. Well, <laughs> January 5th, I got an email that said we were the lucky couple that was selected. So essentially, it was a program where uh, they picked a lucky couple to be married on the Market Frankfurt Al during the Love Letter Tour. So the Mural Arts Program had a fundraising tour where they were offering uh, for patrons to buy tickets and attend this curated show, uh, which is basically getting on the Market Frankfurt Al with the artist that did the Love Letter series. And Steve Powers, his artist name is Espo. Um, it's a series of 50 rooftop murals that you can see uh, throughout West Philadelphia and you can see them when you ride the L because at that point it's elevated uh, through West Philly. And so a mural arts program essentially chartered a SEPTA train so that all their patrons could be on this specific train. So you weren't just in with the public if, if you bought a ticket. But the bonus was that you would be able to witness a couple getting married on the <laughs> end, um, by the mayor. So we were that lucky couple. And if, if you didn't hear me the first time, I said, I found out January 5th and this happened Valentine's Day weekend. So that's wow. five weeks between January 5th and February 13th. And uh, that was basically the time we had to tell all of our family and explain to them, yes, we're getting married on the L. And then two, actually plan the rest of the wedding. So Mural Arts Program took care of all of the heavy lifting with, you know, obviously chartering the train and um, getting the mayor there and uh, organizing the ceremony. And they also hosted a uh, champagne and chocolate reception at SEPTA headquarters afterwards. Oh, that's so that nice. Was really, really special where the train uh, basically made its way all the way to 69th Street. Uh, so between 15th Street and 40th Street is when the ceremony happened on the moving train. So if you look back at the video of me, it's like <laughs> holding on to the rail, like for dear life, um, because the train is speeding through. Oh, all it goes, it goes, of course. 
and, and it didn't stop because it was a, a charter train. So, and it was between revenue trains, what they call them, uh, for people that are actually, you know, riding transportation and paying for it. Uh, so we had to make sure we stayed on schedule. So, you know, all those logistics muralized program took care of. And then uh, my family, our, our bridal party, which I had a full bridal party for bridesmaids, for groomsmen, and my now husband all got off the train at SEPTA headquarters with 300 other people that had bought tickets to the show <laughs> just to witness us do our, our first dance, uh, actually by the acapella uh, group. The, the acapella group from Temple came down and there was a freshman student and I wish I remembered his name, but he learned our first dance song on acoustic guitar and played it for Aww, it. What What's the song? So it's Calling You by Blue October. Um, Cause at the time I was, you know, you we're always apart and traveling and working. So it was really, really special to us. I apparently forgot to tell Tom that we were going to be dancing in front of 300 strangers. <laughs> really exciting. You know, we only had five weeks to figure this out. No dance lessons or anything, no real plan. We just kind of twirled around like it was a sixth grade dance off. <laughs> so, um, arms straight out. Yeah. Yeah. Did, uh, was, would there, um, did you have any sort of like dinner reception, any of that? Was that all that night or did you plan another party later down the road? Well, both actually, because, uh, I'm originally from Massachusetts. And so not all of my family could come down to Philadelphia on such short notice. Of course. Uh, mm -hmm. That night, it was a Sunday. Uh, we did end up booking the private space at Joyce and Lau restaurant. Uh, both Tom and I, um, have Chinese culture and Chinese heritage and, and our DNA. Um, so that was really special to us uh, to kind of bring all of our family there and have a modified Chinese banquet wedding reception. Um, I say modified because not all of the dishes were very authentic. Uh, <laughs> and I can get into that if, if we have time. Like I didn't serve the, the fish head with, you know, the fish guts and everything. Uh, I served fish pieces instead. So it makes it a little more appetizing for, for people that aren't used to seeing head on your food, you know, like the animal head. Um, but it's also really important in Chinese culture and Asian culture to serve an animal whole. Um, okay. So like a little bit of balance that you have to take there. Uh, but, you know, and in, in, so in these five weeks time, we did kind of figure all of that out. Uh, we had our dinner uh, at Joyce and Lau. So we walked from uh, SEPTA headquarters at, at 12th and Market up to uh, 11th and Race. Um, and just walked in and had our, our reception in, in the, the basement of Joyce and Lau. <laughs> but we only had 80 people, so we fit really, really well in there. It's not that- Only I, 80 people, I yeah. love it. Eight, ta eight tables, this was what uh, was the big ordeal in my family because sometimes at Asian weddings, you have 30 tables and that's average. Um, so I only had eight, which wasn't you know that much to write home about apparently. Um, but still, it was all of our friends and family we had the best DJ, uh, Don, D the DJ, uh, who came up from Bear, Delaware. Uh, I found him through a friend. Um, and the, the poor guy had to lug all of his DJ equipment down into the oh, basement. into a basement <laughs> in Chinatown. Ooh, okay. Um, but yeah, it was, it was a really magical day. And uh, there's Did still you get a chance to do your tea ceremony? I didn't. No, we didn't have time, actually. Um, and at the time, I didn't really have anybody to help me with those logistics. I know you had mentioned in the past that you're like, so I'm an event planner. I can take care of all this. Like, this is no big deal. I've got this. And that was a regret you would, you would later have of like, I should have hired a day of coordinator to, to finish pulling everything together. 
Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I you know put all these details together. And as a professional meeting manager, I was like, oh, I can take care of it. But I forgot that I also had to be a bride that day and try to enjoy my wedding day and enjoy my new husband and my family. Well, that was the exact reason I hired you the second I got engaged. It was, okay, we're engaged. Okay, I have my venue contract signed. Hello, Christine, are you available on my wedding day to be me so I can go be a bride? And you're like, yes, sold. And, you know, the kind of the exact same reasons that you wish you would have had someone day of, you were amazing. And I knew that it was, I, I put all of my trust in you, which was such an easy thing to do. And just whatever happens, happens. And that's why I always push you know, if you're going to be doing something large that you need someone their day of, so no one's asking you as the couple questions or, you know, being able to execute certain decisions um, on the couple's behalf and just trusting that everything's going to be amazing. And you were so awesome that I ended up recommending you to several other friends and this is how we got to reconnect again, because, you know, as, as our listeners know that early 2019, I start MG, the venue specialist as a venue sourcing specialist. And the original idea was, I just want to find your venue and help you get over that huge hurdle. And then all the other details can fall into place. And I love being able to recommend vendors I love and, you know, for the larger specifically weddings, especially that when you need that coordination help, I'd love to have a team that I can recommend uh, my, my couples to. And so called you immediately and I was like, I'm taking it to lunch. <laughs> this is my business model. And then it was also at that point that you informed me like, I'm not just a planner, but you would tell me about personal marketing solutions where you would design logos and business cards. So you actually designed my MG, the venue specialist logo and did an amazing job. So I've, you know, I've got my beyond the venue mug here today, which we were able to take my MG, the venue specialist logo and just basically just change the color and move the flower around. And it's, I, I just love the font that we used and the business cards look amazing. I can't wait to get back out there and start giving them out to people right. again. Um, but it was, it was just kind of great to reconnect in this capacity of like, you were offering the exact services that I needed at that exact moment in time, um, that, you know, just kind of helped me launch my business. And it, it's been great over these last couple of years, you know, bouncing ideas off of one another. And I know you had, you had even considered in, in the summer of 2019, were, were you thinking about doing something full-time on your own? Um, you know, were, were you having some, some thoughts of like, you know what, maybe it's time to switch gears. Yeah. I, um, I wanted to take some more time to, to spend with my family. Um, I had been traveling a lot with my day job and, uh, I wanted to explore, you know, what I, what would my life would look like if I just did freelance projects or, you know, uh, small events, uh, not small. I mean, somewhat weddings are very large, but like uh, one-time events, um, with you know, just social um, couples. And so I, I kind of thought about it. I ended up um, taking a step back from work and, and working part-time at my current job. Uh, I've since gone back a little more part-time, but um, I, I decided that it, I, I couldn't put all of myself into it. I have two small kids. So uh, that made it a little, little bit challenging. 
And uh, the market at the time was very saturated. If anybody in hospitality knows that Philadelphia is a great town, we've got a lot of food and a lot of hospitality people. Um, and but you know, people still need to celebrate. They still need to get together. Um, and I always just like working on projects that interest me. So I had the opportunity, I guess, twelve years ago now, to to kind of start my. Uh, my own LLC, Personal Marketing Solutions, where my whole goal was to help small businesses and startups with these small marketing tasks that where you couldn't necessarily, you know, fit it in your startup budget that you're going to go work with a, a ad agency, uh, you know, just to make your stationery and your business cards just to get you started. So I had the opportunity to work with a couple people, uh, organizations, and then I just kind of left it on the side for a while until the opportunities came up. And that's when we connected. And, you know, I was so happy to work with you and, and you know, help you get launched in a little way in my own little way that I helped, <laughs> but invaluable. Uh, yeah. Even with, uh, organizing small weddings for people and, you know, you don't necessarily have to be the, the meeting manager expert. You, you can lean on people that have that expertise and will bring those resources to you. Like you said, you created your own network of preferred providers that, um, can help your clients achieve their goals. The timing worked out perfectly because my my very first clients they uh, they were realizing what it meant to di like they wanted a DIY wedding, but I I think with so many couples they don't realize truly what it means to do your own wedding and to put all these things together yourselves, and so when I when they saw the venue that I knew would be perfect for them they they fell in love with it but they were hesitant to sign the contract because they were feeling very overwhelmed with how much work that they were going to have to do to bring their vision to life. And I was like, listen, y'all, I got you. Like, I'm going to introduce you to an amazing human that is going to take all your worries away and she will handle all the details. And it's, you know, this partnership of helping the couple get where they want to go, where they're, you know, when they don't even know where to start. So I was so glad that that worked out and, you know, we got to celebrate together before the world ended. Um, and you and I, uh, after the wedding, were able to get together for lunch. And the last time we saw each other in person was Friday, March 13th of, of 2020. And, you know, we had lunch. I love that you call your daughter, your office assistant. <laughs> You're like, is it cool if my daughter or if my, if my office assistant joins us for lunch? I'm like, absolutely. She's, she's a doll. So, um, you know, got to catch up kind of uncertain about at the time we were uncertain what the next couple of months were going to look like. Cause I know you were getting on a plane to go to Houston to work an event. And, uh, you know, I just remember talking to you after the fact of just what <laughs> we just, yeah. you know, the same way I went out for my birthday the next day, but was just, I, I remember being loaded up with hand sanitizer and, um, that was pretty much all I really knew what we could do at the time was. Yeah. And, and but, I, on my trip, I even noticed like only a few people on the plane were wearing masks. That wasn't a thing yet. We weren't wearing, yeah, we weren't wearing masks at the time. Yeah. And, and it was a quick meeting. It was a one day meeting that I had in Houston. And I, at the time, you know, there was a lot of news in the media about the coronavirus. It was starting to spread. We were coming up to the peak of it. And then uh, the meeting was over. I flew back that night, the 15th of March. And then the next day, everything shut down. Um, so I've been home since. 
part-time with my kids. Some, at some points they were here full-time. My husband was working from home too. We we're all here locked down. Um, and I, I stayed with uh, my company and I, I work four days a week. So um, it's, it's still a lot of work and all of those meetings were moving um, into a virtual format or being postponed and canceled. So that was really interesting to watch and work with different people to, to figure out what was gonna happen next. Because how many, how many events did you have scheduled for 2020? And did was it a mixture of cancellations, postponements and flipping to the virtual space? And also I'm, I'm curious, how much do you travel? Like how, you know, going to Houston for two days, like do you, in the before times, were you, were you traveling a lot? Yes, in the before times I was traveling a lot. I don't know any meetings that are in the Philadelphia area. So uh, I would get uh, assigned to manage meetings all over the country. I was running one um, annual meeting uh, that's held in the Caribbean. Um, so I, I'm not sure how many were on the docket um, last year because so many of them were either postponed or then canceled and then turned virtual. Um, and so everything that I've been working up to now since, since lockdown happened uh, has all been virtual. Several of them have been canceled. I was supposed to be going to Puerto Rico in June. That's not happening now. Uh, that'll happen hopefully, fingers crossed, in February, uh, which is the, the annual dates of that Caribbean meeting. And uh, yeah, so I was traveling probably once every four to six weeks um, to different meetings, uh, getting on planes and, uh, and going wherever the meeting was. <laughs> uh, and, and now I work from home and uh, help my team run these virtual projects. I know you had mentioned that there are, you know, it's not just Zoom, that there's been a variety of different platforms that, that you've utilized and what, um, like what, what's probably been one of the most like successful virtual events that you feel like you've, you've either ran or experienced um, in recent times. Cause I know I really, I mean, I've done the webinars and I've done, I, I haven't really done a virtual, what I would call like event or conference or anything like on a large scale. Um, yeah, it's all been kind of small. And like I've had, you know, even if it is a large event, like getting put into a breakout room or something like that, but I don't think I've done anything that has not been on Zoom. Right, so with Zoom, Zoom's probably one of the leaders in these virtual meetings and they leaps and bounds, you know, hit the ground running when lockdown first happened and uh, were one of the ones out of the gate to make all of their updates and put in all their security patches to make it one of the most successful products, I think. People are very used to using Zoom. Then you have all these other tech companies that came out. Um, one of the big ones is called Cvent, which is an online registration system. Some organizations use it as their uh, client management system where they send emails and ca capture uh, contact information. Um, and there's other products. Uh, one that I use is called Visibo. Um, and they all basically have some of the same features where you can uh, put in your attendees, you can communicate with them, people can register through the system. You can create a, a virtual exhibit hall in some cases where if you get sponsors for your meeting or conference, they can have these online profiles and post videos. Um, and they all have some nuances. Uh, some are better than others. They're all, some are very expensive. So if you're just a, you know, a, an independent meeting manager, you can't necessarily buy these products out of the box because they cost tens of thousands of dollars in some case, um, or there's like a revenue share uh, anybody, if I'm getting too into the weeds here, you know, somebody <laughs> buys a ticket and part of the ticket cost goes back to the registration company. 
versus you know the the meeting that's the person that's hosting the meeting um and it, it's been interesting to learn all of these systems and to watch how many popped up in the first six months of of, of the lockdown um uh, <clears throat> and just see kind of which ones have stayed on until now um i since i have a, a designation it's called the certified meeting professional and that requires you to do so many hours of uh continuing education every year and i just like extra education <laughs> i guess i'm a glutton for punishment that i just like signing up for webinars and kind of seeing how other people run them and what products they're using mm -hmm. uh, and for those that are at home you know when you sign up for these things whether it's entertainment you're you're going on an online quizzo or you've signed up for a conference that your company might require you to to attend um it's all about the user experience and how easy it is for people to click around to engage with the conversation or the information and then hopefully retain it and not just hit mute, turn your camera off, walk away, and you know, just expect that you've checked in and you can check it off your list. Right. Uh, that's been one of the biggest challenges of, of this sort of virtual world that we're in. But an amazing way to stay connected with, with people um, and as much as we can. <laughs> that's I mean, I I tell you what, there have definitely been several webinars that I've signed up for because I'm like this this subject matter sounded so interesting and so intriguing but it just, it didn't capture my attention the way that the description did. And so I, instead of, <laughs> it's kind of like you, you'll leave the screen up just in case you get like that one morsel of like, okay, all right, thank you for saying that that works. And, you know, being able to get other things done kind of in the interim or clean up your inbox <laughs> while this is happening. So it's, um, you know, and Zoom fatigue is real that I, you know, have had the conversation with several people about we're in such a weird space over the next couple months because the vaccine is rolling out. Um, we're, you know, the weather is finally beautiful. So we're wanting to go outside, spend time outside, but also not necessarily ready to go to an in-person event. Um, so it's just, it's going to be weird for the next couple of months. Like, you know, you're not going to necessarily want to be on your computer in the evening or on the weekends for events and conferences and what have you. But at the same time, you don't want to do it in person. And so right. and, it's and in some places, I mean, we're taping this now, this is, can I say it's April, 2021. Yeah. The, the regulations are going to change over the next couple of weeks. So right now in Philadelphia, you can't even get together. You can't have a wedding. Uh, with more than 10 people or something. Um, you can, so indoor catered events are banned still in the city of Philadelphia while we're recording this. I'm hoping by the time this episode airs in uh, mid-May that they're, they're supposed to discuss at the end of April, um, like if what they're going to do about indoor events. But I know like I, I get the daily updates and the case counts just are not great for Philadelphia, but I think it's because there are a lot of people that are just, they were over it and shouldn't be. So right. well, um, one of the online courses that I just took is called the Pandemic Compliance Advisor Certificate course, which is basically, a, it was a three hour course to help meeting managers figure out how to run successful and safe in-person events for when that time comes. Um, and it was very, very eye-opening. I'm so glad I did it. Learning, you know, what the protocols are for taking temperatures and providing masks and keeping not only your your attendees safe but your staff 
and translate that into a social setting. You know, if you're planning your wedding you, and you are expecting a hundred people, maybe you don't want to take temperatures or you, you don't know that you have to take temperatures of people. Like that's awkward. Like, Hey, uncle Joe, can I just zap your forehead real quick? <laughs> I don't think the bride wants to do that. But if you brought in a professional to help you navigate those rules, if we have them at that time, um, you know, that could definitely be a resource for some people to figure out, you know, what are we supposed to do? How can we keep our friends and family safe, but still celebrate together? And as, um, was part of that, uh, se session certification, um, enforcement or, um, legalities. Cause I think that that is a big question for right. us in the events and hospitality space moving forward is, you know, how do you enforce this? What are you asking of people? You know, there's talks of like vaccine passports and things like right. that. Like it's what, what, I guess, what did you learn in that? And like, what are you able to do? And then, you know, kind of what, what are things going to look like for, for, you know, the next couple months? Sure. Sure. First of all, I'm not a lawyer, but, uh, <laughs> um, but as a meeting manager, you do have a sort of duty of care to provide a safe uh, environment for all of your attendees and your staff too. And, you know, translate that into the social setting, you have a duty of care to provide that to your clients and to all the attendees of the event checking your temperature. And I know that that's something that we're all used to, you know, going to different places where, you know, you fill out the COVID waiver ahead of time. And it, it's my understanding that none of that is necessarily like legally binding, like, but it's, I, I think it's more so that a business is doing its due diligence and trying to protect their staff and their other clients to make sure that like everyone is being as safe as humanly possible. And so while these waivers might not necessarily stand up in court per se, should someone decide to take legal action, um, it's more so like, okay, I promise that I didn't travel internationally within the last 14 days. So please right, provide this service for me, please. And thank you. And I think that that's what's, it sounds like that's what's translating into the event space. And I know the ask this entire time, once they were starting to, um, you know, when restrictions allow events to be held, that uh, couples are responsible. So either whoever's running the event is in charge of providing a guest list um, for the purposes of contract tracing, con con contact, contact, contact tracing. <laughs> contact tracing. So that way, you know, if you have 300 people in an event, if someone does, test positive for COVID that you're able to at least have that list of 300 people and where they were in the 14 days prior. Um, so you are able to do due diligence to figure out, you know, who needs to be notified. And I, I think that's going to be the case for the foreseeable future. Right. Um, I assume that that's what you see in the event space on your end as well for the meetings. In, in the corporate world, I, I definitely see that in some of the day things that I run. Um, and, you know, we translate that to the social setting. I don't think a lot of couples are thinking in those terms. They're just thinking, I'm going to get together with my, my parents and my friends and family. Uh, but I think we're going to be seeing that. And it's going to be a, a, something that couples will have to look into or bring in people to help inform them about what those rules are so that they don't get fined and they don't become that story on the news that say, hey, look at the super this. spreader event. Exactly, exactly. It's, uh, and, and it's, it's going to change. It's going to change in the next couple of months. Hopefully it, hopefully it does go away soon. Although I won't be the person that says, well, we're beyond all of this because I think some of it is going to stick around for a long time, unfortunately. 
It's it's gonna be a while, um, for sure. Well, I know I know we it's it's limited to to being able to go to venues right now, but um, and you've traveled all over the world. So what, Christine, is your favorite venue? Or you know, do you have a a memory that you know was it the the love note septa train? Because <laughs> I know. Nobody's favorite venue is going to be the Market Frankfurt line. I tell you well, what. I'll tell you when you when I ride Septa now, it's it actually makes me smile and I cry a little bit because it was a really really special experience. We were in the first car in the first vestibule, and uh, we had a really great conductor and, and the general manager of Septa at the time was there. Um, so it was all very very great and definitely um, you know when you ride Septa, it doesn't look the way it did on my wedding day, but. And a little side note uh, for, for brides out there that want to wear a wedding dress, make sure that you pick a dress that's appropriate to where you're getting married. Because at the time I had already picked out a ball gown to wear on my wedding day that I had to keep bustled and basically like pinned to my body the whole time, because it's really hard to get a ball gown up the escalator at second and spring garden to get on a train before they had that renovated. Um, so that, that's one of my fondest memories of taking Septa. Uh, but in the grand history of, of events and, and meeting spaces, I, I have this funny habit of walking into a space and starting to count tables and chairs and trying to figure out how many people I can fit into a space. Now that's a little skewed because I- Yeah, it's got to be super know, difficult. Your numbers are off now. numbers are now between people. Um, but uh, one of my favorite places uh, of all time was a small restaurant in Boston, Massachusetts called The No Name. And it was a family operated seafood restaurant that had been open for over a hundred years. Unfortunately, it closed. Uh, I forget when, but it was, I think, pre-pandemic that it closed. Um, and it was just a great place where you could get seafood that was literally caught that day, sold at the auction down the street, and then, you know, on your plate. Uh, my mom worked at a bank down there, which is actually no longer there uh, because of urban development in Boston. Um, but she knew all of the, the waiters, she knew all the managers there. Uh, it was the Greek family that owned it. Um, and they just had the, the best seafood and it was always a fun experience to go there. We were probably there once a week when I was a kid. So um, I ate a lot of seafood back then. <laughs> I love that. That's, uh, what a beautiful yeah. story. Well, I'm sorry they, they closed, but- um... it's, It might be a, a case study someday for me to do my <laughs> research in because uh, there was another restaurant uh, just around the corner uh, called Jimmy's Harborside. And it was basically a seafood steakhouse that was built in the sixties. And if you think like mad men style, like <laughs> dining, this was the place you had okay. to stop to go to Jimmy's Harborside. They only had valet parking. But again, my mother knew all the managers and all the servers. So we always got a good table. Uh, it was the first time I had tried wine. <laughs> but so uh, that restaurant closed the family sold it and then uh, it was actually renovated when that whole seaport area of Boston was um, revamped and now it's got three restaurants on it with the legal test kitchen is and all these other places which is amazing uh, but it's sort of that that old school steakhouse is you know never going to come back but uh, that was one another one of my favorite places oh well, nice well, Christine, um, I would love for you to share with our listeners um, either how they can follow you or some of the different organizations you're involved in. Um, how, how can our, our listeners uh, check you out on the on the internet? Oh, sure. So uh, if you want to link in with me professionally, I would recommend uh, finding me on LinkedIn.com. So that's Christine Plord Golden. I think my name will be up here somewhere. Um, 
But if you're in the hospitality industry, I welcome you to join me at an MPI event. So it's Meeting Professionals International. Our Philadelphia area chapter is very, very active. I'll be on the incoming board of directors uh, this July. So I'm really looking forward to working with them again. It's another way that I kind of keep learning uh, how to do my job better, how to keep my finger on the pulse of the hospitality industry and work with some really great people. Um, and last but not least, if you're a Temple alum, please follow me and join the Temple Women's Network. Uh, we're gonna be having some great events this fall, uh, specifically for Temple Women alumni um, so that we can hopefully reconnect with the university. And I think I, I promised I would join uh, the second you, <laughs> you brought it up. I was like, you got it. I count, count me in. Um, super, super proud to be an owl. Well, listeners, thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, my conversation with Christine has been absolutely delightful. So thank you so much for joining us today. Follow Beyond the Venue podcast on Instagram and also check us out on all of your favorite podcast streaming platforms. Have a great rest of your day.